Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs>
Well, that was um, the next day. No, or no, we recorded um, on a Tuesday, and this the news did not come out until Stroud on Thursday when we were playing. Oh no, you're right. Thursday, yeah. January twelfth. That was announced because Pi- uh, Paizo crashed, just like right. Cobalt crashed when right. Cobalt said that they were going to do mm-hmm. one. And well, and this this is what's really cool about this is the fact that any other third party publisher can now jump on this license, and so they're going to help craft press, it and form it. Yeah. They're not doing it in a, you a know, vacuum. A vacuum, yeah. yeah. So Green Roman's so, uh, involved, Cobalt's involved. Uh, a couple of them, uh, several. Chiasium, whoever does that one. Right. It still leaves, so it leaves us with a with a, a a legal protective umbrella, some legal plate armor, if you will, for the yeah. future. Yeah. So there's hope in that regard. The th- other thing that's coming up with us is that we we wanted to learn how to game design using the fifth, edin- the fifth edition play bo- mm-hmm. uh, play, uh, yep. playground, you know, sandbox. And we can't really do that uh given the nature or the trajectory that wizards of the coast seems to be moving mm-hmm. not at the behest of the designers at wizards of the coast they are wonderful people who love the game yeah. but at the you know their hasbro overlords right um who also then in the intervening week released a statement on the wizards website condescendingly saying that they rolled a one on their first attempt they they i'm sorry they lied yeah they lied they said right. it was a draft that was a lie. Yeah. That was sent out with contracts. Mm-hmm. They said it was to protect them from it was to protect DD from NFTs, even though Hasbro has already jumped into doing like Power Ranger NVT NFTs and yeah, things like, like that. that. Yeah. They're we're gonna protect you from racism, but they're well, the ones that publish the Hadozi. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it, yeah. It the whole thing was corporate was corporate speak. And, was, and you know, the the part that, you know, most people really took the biggest issue with, which was of course that they could you know, you could publish, but then they could someday take your ideas and own them forever, essentially, mm-hmm. and use them and put them out. Well, we never, ever crossed our mind to use it that way. No, you own what you create. We can't use it without yeah, permission. we all know that. Except for by using the license, you give them permission. <laughs> know, it was such ridiculous. I, I was listening to um, Dungeon Cast just today mm-hmm. on my way home, and they had a, he, he said, man, you're picking a fight with a bunch of rules lawyers. Yeah. Like... These are people who can understand underwater combat and grappling. Yeah. You can't fool them with corporate doublespeak. Well, once again, I mean, I think the root of this entire problem is just totally not understanding your audience and, and not exactly. understanding your customer base if you just want to capitalism it. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the people so, that buy your stuff. Um, and if you understood them, the, you would yeah, know that the, this won't work. It was a giant misstep right from beginning to end. Um, yeah. So that's the two big news. You had the the wizard's response and the Paizo... Um, uh, license and again i saw some tweets today from mcdm they've started play testing and working on their system mm-hmm. so we're gonna have we're gonna have systems with system reference documents and a new license in which to play yeah the problem is they're not done oh yeah and they're they're <laughs> probably a, a bit of a ways off so and they're a bit of a ways off so yeah. what can what can two people two aspiring game designers rpg tabletop game designers do when there is no system in which to create. We could technically create, we could try to learn how to design in Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Um, we could, in second edition, because I guess technically, they're going to re-release Pathfinder second edition yeah. without the OGL. Yep. Um, but I think one of the reasons that I, again, the fifth edition sandbox was so alluring is because I know that game pretty well. Yeah. I feel like you have to know the game. You can't, we can't just jump into like designing for Pathfinder. I've never played in a Pathfinder game. Right. So I need to rectify that. I'm going to use the sale and buy the core rules. And we're going to have well, I mean, World Wolf Rod Wolf something will or something. gladly roll, you know, run one for us. You know, probably just a society yeah. game. Drop of a hat. Just, just, yeah. I just, I would like to do some one shots just to kind of get a feel for it. Yeah. Um, so, um, the thing about you know switching over to Pathfire, so here's what, how how you think I want to move it going forward. This is my mental state as far as how the podcast goes up until such a time as we pick a different system. And I actually thought of this because I was scrolling through my various YouTube, uh, you know, algorithmic suggestions, and Brad Brandon Sanderson came up. Right, mm-hmm. Brandon Sanderson wrote numerous books. He created whole worlds right the his right alter, and now he's putting them into an rpg you know that's a good point so my approach here is why don't we just i mean we're not actually writing books at the moment but that's you know that's what we're doing right we're just we're writing our world and then once we decide what system we want to go for we put it into that and we'll make compromises as i'm sure he had to yeah and we there's nothing limiting us from discussing what we would look like what, what it would look like possibly in a game mechanic right so and we can use, we can still talk. I mean, after all, I love the the legal take that's come out of this whole thing, the the legal take of you didn't really need the OGL, 
Right. You can write for Dungeons and Dragons and just never mention the Dungeons and Dragons stuff, and there's that's fine because right. you can't copy. It gets fuzzy with the expression of game mechanics, and for those of you at home, there's air quotes around that. Yeah. The expression of game mechanics. So, like, can you say saving throw? Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just it's it's a mire, and it's yeah. frustrating because I do love Fifth Edition D and D. I'm going to continue to run our games in 5th edition D&D. I, I really do enjoy it, but I'm going to have to learn Pathfinder. And you know what? It is going to be an opportunity. Maybe after we kill Strahd, or yeah. after you guys kill Strahd, or he horribly kills you all, right? Um, we can jump into some other uh, systems. We can try some different things. That can be our rotating, we're right. going to try this now. Well, I mean, um, so we both have interest in Shadow of the Demon Lord. Mm-hmm. I just got this The 13th hander. Age sounds interesting. Yeah. So you have Zweihander? Is yep. it Zweihander? Zweihander. Yeah, Zweihander. Just want to add an N in there, just like Heinerwaddles. I want to add a D, even though there isn't one. Heinerwaddle? Yeah, it's Heinerwaddle. What is Heinerwaddle? Um, what you had one time considered the primary place to get salt potatoes <laughs> used to be called Hinderwaddle. Oh. Everyone I knew growing up called it Hinderwaddle. Listen, That's, we yeah. have two people who downloaded us in Great Britain. They're not going to know what Heinerwaddle yeah, is. Yeah, one time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know how to read. we had a read. couple people in Australia. Uh, and yep, some people had, in Africa uh, and South America. a couple times, actually. Right. So, so they're not going to go. So for those of you listening internationally, for our international audience, yeah. Heiner Waddles is a brand of potato in Syracuse, New York, that you boil in salt water and slather in butter, and we call it a regional delicacy. Yeah, it's a... We're it's, really... It's a, a it's sad a, sentence. It's a really big uh, health food craze up here. Are you a salt potato fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I've done correctly. It's the only way I'll eat potatoes, I can take them or leave them. Um, if done correctly, uh, and correctly is you cut them in half, but we won't get too caught up. <gasps> Boil them while they're Savage. cut in half, and then it's truly a salt potato. Okay. If this is the thing we get the most comments on, that would be hysterical. It would be. Um, <laughs> so you know what, though? I guess as long as we were, t- we're doing the OGL stuff, and if I'm going down our thing, um, can you, you just go ahead? Yeah. So here's my random encounter. So you can, you can hit Oh, them. wait. Oh, wait. Oh, that's not the way to do it. It's okay. You're supposed to let it interrupt you. Random encounter. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. So the random encounter, because <clears throat> we didn't really have one, but what came to mind is, and we kind of started to we talk. We had a really and, big one. What's that? We had a really big one yeah. last week. Yeah. The entire episode. Right, exactly. So I didn't want to completely divulge from it, but it is, it's less specifically about the OGL, but it's more, I think, interesting how quickly we all became lawyers. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just think it's interesting how quickly we thought we all understood um, a document and understood the law, and it well, makes I mean, it a that, little frustrating to follow. It, it does. It, it it comes from that whole idea of armchair experts, right? Yeah. I mean, people become armchair experts. They think mm-hmm. they know the best way to do things because they have some sort of a tied emotional response to a thing. Yeah, it's always the emotional decide, response. And that's what, and that motivates people to then start doing their Dunning Cugger journey, <laughs> and and because that's what it is. Yeah. It's the Dunning Cugger. It's Dunning mm-hmm. Cugger. Dunning Cougar. Dunning Cugger. Yeah, effect. Cougar. I I'll think. put a link to a Wikipedia article about it in the show notes. Yeah. But for those of you who don't know what the Dunning Cugger, I'm now going to have to look it up while we're doing this, um, just to make sure I'm saying it right. The Dunning Cugger effect. Uh, Kruger. The Dunning Kruger effect. Okay. Yep. The Dunning-Kruger effect occurs when you know just enough to feel like you know a lot while right. at the same time knowing nothing. So if you look at people, their, no- about a, uh, their knowledge about a new subject, as they start learning about a new subject, their knowledge jets from zero straight up on a chart. And then it, it peaks and then it dips way back down again and then gradually goes up to where you actually are an expert. And that valley in between your initial spike of learning and actual expertise is the Dunning-Kruger Valley. So is, where, that, so is that indicative of you are mansplaining and then yeah, you go down and instead of you, you, when you get to that lower part, you feel like an ass and then you actually do mm-hmm. become an expert. Exactly. Well, it's the, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the, uh, let's see, here's the Wikipedia definition. The Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias whereby people with low ability, expertise, or experience regarding mm-hmm. a certain type of task or area of knowledge tend yeah. to overestimate their ability or knowledge. So it's you know just enough to think you're an expert while at the same time being an idiot and not really knowing. Well, it's funny because when this first came out, you know, the OGL news, we had like that initial, uh, you know, emotional response. And that was very strong. 
right? It was. Um, for most people that follow within the hobby. But then I started to quickly go towards, well, I really want to find something concrete. And I felt like it took a long time for people in general to also want to pursue some kind of concrete understanding. Mm-hmm. Like in our little share, in our little share, I was almost always, I'm like, this isn't just some lawyer. Like I found the article from the one guy. This isn't just this some is a- lawyer. This is an intellectual property lawyer because I think quite a few guys who do the contract on, you know, you know, the, these little contracts for small businesses were, were coming in and chiming in and it's not the same kind of business, intellectual property, which I'm now kind of getting the impression is a relatively new legal expertise. It's I don't even pretend to understand yeah. uh, the the vast breadth of, of IP law, yeah. but the the Dunning-Kruger effect has been, Kruger, gosh yeah. darn it, the yeah. Dunning-Kruger effect has been on a full display, but but the Dunning-Kruger effects is basically, it's it's the environment of any online discourse. Yeah, that's what it's, I, that's the overall random encounter, isn't it interesting that everybody, yeah, you know. we all think we're experts when we really don't know anything, and, and yeah. to the point where it doesn't matter what it's about, I mean, we've seen it about politics, about mm-hmm. uh epidemiology covid brought out the dunning kruger uh epidemiologist and yeah. just about everybody with a platform yeah and uh it's just it's it's just an interesting thing to see because now we're in and what it ultimately ended up doing with the ogl stuff is it just made it you know exhausting mm-hmm. you're just like everybody it's the knows. opposite of yeah. it's the opposite of imposter syndrome yeah i mean how long did it take before i now understand why paizo thinks that the original ogl is still defensible it right it took weeks. So, and I just told you about it this morning. That's why was it? Mm-hmm. Is it James Dancy? Because yeah, because uh, what is it? You said irrevocable wasn't a term in common legal parlance. The yeah, time. the OGL predates uh, Creative Commons by like two to three years, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't use the term irrevocable, and I'm like, oh, so that that's your that's that's your uh, thread that you pull on, right? You know, you can go, hey, you know, well, to be fair, this was as it meant irrevocable in as far as they were able to legally express that. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, The spirit of the OGL was meant to be irrevocable. Yeah, which I think is this the best is where... they're going to end up doing is giving, you know, like I said earlier, uh, uh, we're just going to call it even. You all can back out. The OGL's gone. You go do your thing. We go do our thing. We won't try to come after anything you did under the OGL. We're done. Well, yeah, they did back out. They, they said they were going to pull the um, the royalties and the uh the they weren't going to retro the retro you were going to be able to grandfather older products in 1.0a but oh man dunning kruger kind of affects a lot of different things you see that in the game a lot you see people jumping into their expertise about i mean seriously like well you know you shouldn't be able to you know where you see it in D &D a lot Mm -hmm. you see it when people uh, discuss spears Spears. Spears. Have you ever seen this? No. The the, the discourse about Spears and fifth edition. <laughs> no. Because Spears and fifth edition are not that great. And then people always get really they get really offended. They're like, no, as they you know as they yeah. shove their glasses up their nose and they go, uh, well, actually, Spears are one of the greatest uh, weapons that ever you know graced the surface of the globe during medieval combat. For sure. And they're not wrong. No, they're and, not wrong at all. But how often but like, does D and D coordinate a phalanx position? Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> I mean, I've always looked at Spears, and I was just like, "Wow, visually, that's pretty dope." But um, what? Hopefully, I, I've it, got a, a you know fifteen to sixteen other hoplites, and I can create a defensive posture, a shield wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just it's not that cool. And it, but we see a lot of people decide that they are medieval arms experts. Yeah, we see a lot of people decide that they are uh, naval experts. Uh, well, D and D could be the single most pop culture emblematic Dunning Kruger ever because of studded leather armor. Oh right, not a thing no at all. Thing is studded, doesn't exist. It it's just not real. looks like it in pictures. So that's what Gary Gygax and everybody. But to went be with. fair, yeah, yeah, studded leather armor is actually just rivets in leather armor, isn't it? Yeah, you, I think I believe underneath what we see in those pictures, you know, usually Robin Hood is shown wearing it, right? But right. it's still ultimately just skin, like thin scale armor underneath it with the rivets, you know. I don't know why this is the leather to make it look cooler. It just seems like an extra. You know what? You don't have to worry about uh, the gaps as much. I think the leather, sure, overrides. It holds everything gap. together. Yeah, I think it's, it's, just, it's like the rug, man. It just brings the whole room together. Yeah, it does. Ties the whole room together. So you know, um, I just thought it was funny how this week, and then the paranoia kicks in as this week has progressed too, because now there's like, oh, they're gonna have AI DMs and thirty dollars a month, and oh, I'm like, yeah. I just don't. 
it's an interesting leak, but that one seems really nuts. Like the technology for an AIDM just isn't even close to there. And I don't think no. Hasbro is the one leading the vanguard on that. If I'm going to be playing yeah, a game that with that brings anything, us back to AI, which was our very first random encounter. I know, at isn't all. that weird? Well, you know what's really weird, and I, uh, Miranda mentioned this. Um, how much a lot of the stuff were like, well, like in the early episodes, we discussed whether or not uh, D, you know, the difference between D and D and a video game. Mm-hmm. And now here everything seems to be. And I go and, I, and AI You're trying to push it into being a video game. I even literally said, AI, I know you know, an AI cannot adjust for how people are feeling in the room or something along those lines, you know. Right. And, and now that's what Wizards of the Coast seems to think. It just so if that's, that's the case, it wouldn't be D and D. There wouldn't there wouldn't be res, the the an AI's ability to dungeon master. It's literally just going to be a video game narration. You're just calling it a video game. It's like you're so missing the point. I mean, I cannot imagine, you know, hey, if it works for them, great. Because at this point, like Sly Flourish says, Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs, they, they belong to us. They're not going anywhere. Right. But it would be interesting to see if it doesn't take off um, what a new leadership team over at the Wizards of the Coast would look like. Because I just don't think this is the way to increase monetization. Increasing the profile is how you increase monetization. You right. know, if you're going to do your D&D show um, with Paramount Plus and you want to increase people's interest and, and, you know, make it make it like, you know, Netflix did choose your own adventure episodes. Figure out some way to do that with the show. You know, that would be smart. Also make the show good. Well, that, I mean, that's a big one. You could you could uh, they should make really just, make the show good. You could just make it entertaining. Um, but you know, there's all kinds of other ways to monitor there's toys. There's making t-shirts more ubiquitous. I mean, there are all these capitalist trappings that I absolutely loathe, but I mean, you have options. Right. And it just seems and, weird to turn it into a video game. You know, and I'm a sucker for anything with a D and D ampersand on it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I, it's a great logo. It's, um, it is. so the random encounter went definitely random, but I just think it's funny how everyone becomes, isn't it funny how everyone became like a legal expert? Mm-hmm. In, well, you think about <laughs> balancing sure. that, especially from the, let's bring it back, you know, to the yeah. point of view of the game designer. Yeah. The game designer sort of has to become an armchair expert in a lot of different things as they're creating. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, you know, if we're designing something, some sort of new medieval weapon, I'm going to have to get a bunch of books out on medieval weapons and look through them and think about how they worked. I've got the, you know, a book on how crossbows work. Yeah. And so I would have to become a little bit of an armchair expert. You know, when is it being an armchair expert? When is it doing, you know, surface level research? Right. Um, I think it really just kind of boils down to whether or not you acknowledge that your knowledge is maybe mile wide inch deep. Yeah. And don't try to pretend that you are, in fact, an expert in something in which you are really not. But again, part of the Dunning-Kruger effect is that you don't know. You're not aware yeah. that you're it's wrong. It's just funny because when you do that, I think you just let your emotions lead so much. And what if you want to create some kind of you know, six-bolt crossbow and it's just physically unlikely and maybe you just need to let that go? Mm-hmm. And I just think people had a lot of theories going into this OGL, these legal theories, and they just didn't want to let them go. Um, no, and they let their well, emotions I mean, lead so much, and they, you know, I'm just I, at it, this point, I'm just like, that's fine. I guess we just don't do OGL and we move on. But the amount of people that just can't, they're like, no, we have to get Wizards of the Coast to, you know, go in our direction. I'm like, I don't know what. What are you gonna What are you gonna do there? Why? Yeah, I, I who was it saying we? I was listening to one YouTuber today. He said, well, we got to get Wizards of Coast to sign on to the Orc. I'm like, who the hell wants that? I'm like, they're never gonna do that. They would never do it anyway. Ludicrous. So it's a, it's a lot of a lot of pie in the sky. I think thinking. if you want to start. Um, and this is my last, because you know how hesitant I am to, uh, in general, uh, boycott things. I, you know, the boom, the movie, for example, everyone's like, well, we just won't go see the movie. I'm just like, but that doesn't just hurt. Like, you don't hurt these big companies if you don't go see this movie. Right. You know, you, and you don't hurt Chris Pine and you don't hurt Michelle Rodriguez. You don't hurt any of them, but you do, like I said, you hurt craft services. You hurt the, the key Best grip. boy too. Yeah, exactly. You hurt all these other guys, you know, I'm just go see the movie. It still looks fun. It doesn't change anything, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but I just find that fascinating. But we move on. <laughs> All right. So, the random encounter of episode 12. Yeah. Yeah. That's a dozen. Random encounter of episode 12 Armchair Experts and the Dunning Kruger Effect. Yeah. And how does it affect you? Yeah. And that's completed. There you go. We're, we made it. We made it. <laughs> <laughs> so, back so, to the stuff people want to listen to. Yeah, exactly. Let's get back to Esterok. Let's yeah. go back to our world, mm-hmm. um, our cosmically locked world. Yeah. where it is suffused with iliaster, a substance that seems to respond to the will of sentient creatures mm-hmm. and yet also acts with a will of its own. Dun, yes. dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And let's talk a little bit. Let, let's go to church. 
Uh, okay. That's Take fine. me to church, Josh. Okay. Well, I, okay. So, I mean, I, I know we discussed a little bit my initial, and I still feel this. Um, I still feel that if you're going to go for a, a two, that, you know, say the top two powers in mm-hmm. a land of Esterok, um, the top dog god has to be a nature god yeah. that's been able to take advantage of wild nature you know savage okay. nature for anyone listening in who's like what the hell are they talking about yeah we are talking about developing the yes, cosmology sorry. of divine beings in Estorok. yeah what do the gods and religion mm-hmm. and divine magic look like in Estorok? well you know and it's interesting so I mean, do you mind? I guess I'll kind of monologue nope. a little so I can just tell Please you do. what my approach was. So my overall Everyone approach... Everyone wants to hear your dulcet tones. So I think I've discussed this somewhat, but this is how... And so I'm, I'm just going to explain this, and this is not... This doesn't need to be a canon thing, obviously, just because I'm one of the co-creators, but this... In order to set up my understanding of divinity and Estorok, I had to, for myself, establish rules. Um, and one of the rules that I've established before... so. I've explained it in my mind, Estrock works as is. So if you are going to go to like Macbeth, right? The witches are bubble bubble and they're adding things in. So they're doing a ritual, right? For their spell, they requires a ritual and it respires sure. components and it respires, you know, or requires a, a chant, right? So it has all of these things, but no matter what magic goes on in Estrock, it may have all those things. They may be bubble bubble. Um, but whether you're on, Est- my thinking is whether you're on Estrock or Faerun, another world, um, Iliaster is the distillation of intent, right? So that's the piece that's missing, the, the, um, your intention to make what you're doing work, right? Like the spell. So what okay. I created in my mind was almost like a hierarchy, and it, and, it, and it definitely parallels a lot of other magic systems hierarchy, whereas um, gods are able to access magic differently than people. I know that's come up. I don't know if, again, I don't remember if that's specific to current D&D 5e, but in my thinking, um, traditionally, um, gods have a different way of interacting with magic right they just kind of get um they're closer to it in my sure. mind so i i, I built they're from, magical beings yeah yeah i built from gods are the most magical beings and they're closer to magic so they're able to utilize it. i've always felt that iliaster and the reason that estrak is cut off in my mind was because the universe was like oh shit like this whole planet is coursing with the very intention of divinity, the very nature of magic is, is here. And it's, we, we, so the universe itself was like, no. And it slammed the door shut on everything and everything that was there. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, this is so, only to explain what angle. So I guess maybe I should finish. I don't know. Maybe be wondering too much. And then people who use magic do exist. Wizards, arcanists, sock, you know, sorcerers, all these folks. Sure. Um, but in my mind on Estorak, they're almost like they have an X factor. So everyone has the potential to influence Iliaster. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, some people are almost born with like an X gene. And that those people tend to be okay. arcanists. They tend to have a better chance of manipulating the Iliaster in their favor. Does any of that make yeah. sense? Absolutely. Well, we, I mean, we certainly want some sort of a distinction between two different kinds so it's generally of magic. So it's easier but... for someone of divine origins to utilize magic. And since yeah, it's more flexible, it's yeah. So that's what I that was my approach. But then I had to, and I hope that makes sense. But then that was my approach, and then so, but of course the doors got slammed. So we, you know, I know you have mentioned before that you know some of the divinity that is here um, is maybe an aspect. It's not actually always the god. Um, mm-hmm. I like to play with maybe some minor god got stuck here, and now he, you know, over you know however many eons has or he she it. I guess it'd be more it. Um, has started to um, learn how to capitalize on all of this kind of raw power and energy. Have you read American Gods by Neil Gaiman? Yes. Yeah, actually. And that was part of it in my mind. So I love that that aspect from that book, that Mm -hmm. when people moved to America, they brought aspects of the old gods with them. So you have Odin in America, and you also have Odin back in Europe. Right. And they're different because... The minute people start thinking about it differently, they change culturally, and yeah. those and those aspects of those ancient gods who are faltering are trying to actively resurge yeah. their worship for power. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's go with a couple of conceits. Let's yeah. let's establish some ground rules. Okay, Esterok was locked at yeah. the moment. Esterok was locked. All of the people who were locked on Esterok would have had ideas about gods from their home worlds. Mm-hmm. Yep. They could no longer access those homeworld gods. Right. Right? Sure, yeah. So, But then I also like that some of those gods may have been there. Okay. On Esterach. All right. 
I didn't consider that. That's interesting. We'd have to think about what that would mean. So that was like I the, was thinking that if we would be starting with blank slate. So well, so for me, well. what becomes more fun is that. It, so we're just going to put it in simpler terms. I think that almost anybody could understand. So like Zeus was not on Astarok, right? Right. Thor was not on Astarok. Odin. But was if not. someone who worshipped. Zeus and Thor was on Estrock when it was locked. Mm-hmm. Would their belief in Zeus and Thor, combined with the nature of Estrock itself, create a Zeus and Thor in Estrock? Sure, because they would just be a minor version. Yeah. So what I overall, because at first I was doing a like a path a pantheon approach, like okay, well let's see, there is right. a god of this and god of that. But I kind of like the idea of all these different ways that gods and divinity could have arrived on Estrock. Maybe they were communing directly and uh, maybe a sliver of their anyway sliver of their psychology you know of their psyche is now stuck here and you know somewhere off in the distance those god you know in the in the cosmos outside of estrak those mm-hmm. gods are there but i kind of like the idea that rather than the pantheon that you kind of have like a congress of divinity or like an entire almost like, because species it, it could create like a really is... interesting thing to me for dms or storytellers of your gods, some of them, you could create whatever god you want. They're walking among you, and they basically gain power to curry. To, they basically curry favor because belief in them, because of the way Iliaster works, boosts their power okay, and their fame. And I just like the idea of kind of creating almost like there isn't just one thing. There's like a divinity of them, and they, they'll walk around, and they'll, they'll shake hands, so to speak. <laughs> like they, you, you, gods could interact with you, but at a very small level. Okay, so one of the questions that very often comes up when people talk about world-building pantheons is mm. they say, like, how involved are those gods with the day-to-day people? To a point, like, some, to how accessible you could choose are to have them very involved mm-hmm. up until they reach a certain point. You know, like, how involved is your... How much more likely are you to run into um, a town councilman than the mayor? Like, at, right. like as they ensconce themselves and become increase their notoriety in different things they become more powerful but some are just you you know nature is always understood you know i I wanted so that means we're going to have two different kinds of gods yes we're going to have terrestrial terrestrial Mm -hmm. terrestrial gods right that are basically personifications of gods that were left over Mm -hmm. or trapped here aspects that were carried with the belief of the people and then got locked off themselves yep they would be weaker because fewer people would worship them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they would almost be, that would be a horrible existence for them. That's the American gods aspect. So we're borrowing a little bit, obviously, from Neil Gaiman. (laughs) Unconsciously there. I mean, I suppose he's a good enough storyteller to borrow from. Yeah, maybe. But the idea that they would would walk among, they might, and they might walk around in secret. Yeah. Maybe they, you know, I love the idea of, actually, this is in a Brandon Sanderson novel too, I think, of of a god who poses as his own high priest. Yeah. Like that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I just I don't know, I just felt like me again, this is very half-baked because I was literally making beef stroganoff while I was thinking about it and I haven't refined it in any way shape or form, but I just but like that's what we're that here idea. For. Yeah, I just like that idea of not a solid pantheon but a constantly rotating pantheon of like shared responsibilities and if you want to get if you want to gain more power you may need to behave one way or another i also like the idea that gods that were actually here are now forgotten in the rest of the universe which means nothing but if it was mm-hmm. a god that was here in whole body is blinked right out of the universe nobody sure if you ever went to another world nobody could ever think of you know zaraxis the, the mm-hmm. trickster it's gone you know so if we have our we have our anthropomorphic gods the ones that are more likely to interact with people at a level they right they're the ones that are answering the prayers right right and they're they're in out out there amongst the people yeah yeah they're the people but over the course of a thousand years as people are trapped on this planet their belief is going to you're going to have other gods develop you're so we're going to have the gods that are trapped here but then the gods that are created here yeah so birth the gods Mm -hmm. transplants and natives basically yeah so the transplants are the are the more on the ground level, and then you have native gods, and that could be connecting back to that forces and pantheons thing that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the idea of the god of Estrock being nature, like a, a personification of nature, yeah, could be very powerful. And then that god is created by the fact that everyone on this planet, you know, so many people start, you know, saying, mm-hmm. "Oh my gosh, okay, Gaia," you know, for the yeah. lack of a better term, yeah. Um, 
Gaia, protect me. Gaia, oh God, please, Gaia, don't eat me. Yeah. As I go into the verge, and all of a sudden, Gaia becomes a god. Right. And then you have ter- you have the transplant gods going, son of a gun. Yeah. <laughs> that and was then, supposed to be for me. And then there can be crossplay. There can be like mm-hmm. maybe a maybe a trapped god, uh, divine being, some kind. We should come up with a name for them other than gods. Yeah. Um, tries to impersonate uh one of the right uh, there's so many gods. storytelling possibilities with our and divinity then all this from I, you when you were like we don't need divine magic in estrock <laughs> right but i mean to me it's still it's almost like there isn't divine magic but there is obviously but no, well, no obviously this conceit comes from us with like this is not these were not beings that existed before mortals to guide them and things like that that yeah. is not i don't think that's either of our take on mm-hmm. religious ideology no um I have I've always liked with fantasy, you know, for someone who's not religious, the idea that uh fantasy gods are just really powerful beings that other people yeah, are the, able to the Star give Trek their power approach, to, right? The, the, yeah, exactly. the Q continuum that these are just, you know, science you can't explain type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I don't yeah, and then I really did like the idea too that in order to because Iliaster's kind of the source of all magic, the idea that somebody has you know, your mutant X gene equivalent that, you know, everybody can utilize the Iliaster, but I need to, we need to come up. I felt like I needed to come up with a reason why somebody is, is a, a, I do believe we're not going to call him wizard, but somebody's a wizard because they just have an aptitude for it. There's yeah, something, an arcanist. Yeah. There's something in them that you maybe don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, going way back to one of our things, is there a secret that, you know, is that nobody knows. Remember, wasn't that one of the things we had to talk about? Was is there, Yes. Is there a secret that nobody knows? It, the answer to. Yeah. Um, and we had a couple, but one of them should be, I, I like the idea that one of the levers of authority, that when you really get to, to varying levels, they know that Iliaster gives every citizen an awful lot of potential mm-hmm. and power and kind of threatens the status quo. And that's the, that's the that could be another hook that you're constantly, you know, you could have right. people in authority trying to keep a lid on, you know. Uh, they would just assume you stay afraid of everything. They don't want you to know that, yes, there's divinity, but you might be able to do that too. And yeah, there are people right. that are wizards, but you could potentially do that too. We need everyone to not imagine a giant marshmallow man walking down the street. Right. That is exactly. Because <laughs> that's ultimately what we've come around to. Yeah, that's what is, I'm, I'm like. I got to figure out a way to make anything. people not do that. The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. You know, and then are I've usually just kind of squared it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the best part of afterlife ray ray <laughs> like you know what come to- on man <laughs> i liked that movie yeah so did i um just because that was hilarious are you a god ray oh <laughs> yes you know just to go back to that um it's hard because i do like how iliaster functions but i was just like i guess the in my mind the only way it gets balanced is uh, some people believe that it can make you do all these things but the belief by other people that know it can't balances out what some people are able to achieve with it. And it well, I like the a, idea, that, and this could be part of Nullamancers is if we eventually get there. Oh, that Nullamancer, that, yeah. part of their power to part of their power to undo and um, have a level of immunity to the effects of Iliaster come from just a very strong belief that it can't affect them. See, I like that, but I also okay. So there's another. I like the idea Uh-oh. too that um, because I'd also like the idea that there would be like a demonic sense you know there's a place where demons live and iliaster pretty much just avoids them whole slow okay this one section just because there's something about demonic utilization of iliaster that makes iliaster run um and avoid them um and that also limits the demonic power because they still need it but they really that's why they kidnap humans right because they they treat them as little iliaster vials stuff like (gasps) that that's why you cut deals that's dark yeah like that's why you cut deals with them but I also thought Nolamancy, that one of the other secrets is Nolamancy at its hor- at its at its core, uh, it has is demonic in origin. Oh. That in maybe your ancestry has uh, you know, demon blood, demon genetics, whatever we're gonna call it. Um, or you literally are making a deal with a demonic entity. Or you're literally making a deal. Whole communities above Iliaster that have made deals with varying um you know, demon sources. And then I had, you know, of course the guy with the, who's absorbed the other demons and, but he's also absorbed devils. So he kind of observes this lawful evil kind of vibe where he wants to go create chaos. So chaos, but he knows if he does, he destabilizes himself and understand, you know, but yeah, so that's where I wanted, I was thinking Nolamancy's origins is kind of demonic in some level of ancestry. And that's why you're cutting deals and you're doing all this stuff. And I just think it's kind of neat that an entire city manages 
at least in part to do what it does. You know, yeah, you've managed to utilize Iliaster in all these interesting clockworky, scientific ways, and that's awesome, mm-hmm. but you had to make a deal with some kind of devil and, you know, some kind of demon along the way in order to repel Iliaster. And it's just, that was just something that crossed my mind. You ever read about sin eaters? Um, real life ones? Like the real, yeah, real life, life concepts? Sin eaters. Um, yeah, like that was, you would, you would go to someone and if you thought you were a real bad sinner and you would pay a dude and he would literally like devour. In theory. Yeah. So the uh, eat a a sin eater was, right? it, yeah, it was salted bread. Yep. That's what it was. Um, it was, so sin eaters were a job mm-hmm. and you would be invited into a home. Usually it was someone who was dying. Yeah. I believe. And again, take this all with a grain of salt. If you're listening and you happen to be an expert on sin eaters, I am in full Dunning-Kruger Valley here. Right. Um, but I re- what I remember learning, actually, it's not Dunning-Kruger because I know I'm aware of my lack of knowledge, but yeah. I do remember studying in college at some point, the idea that they would be invited in, someone's dying, um, you know, grandpa's dying on the bed. And so you would uh, basically put salted bread on his chest and then the sin eater, like the grandpa would say all of his sins and then the sin eater would be like, yum, and he'd eat the bread off his chest. Yes, we're both making a face. And then the family would then proceed to beat and shun and throw stones at the sin eater who was then chased out of town. You know what? I've heard but this the episode idea was of that, lore. <laughs> is that, lore okay, did an episode I've, on sin eaters. That's what that's Okay, can like. you find me a link for it? Because I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so the idea with the sin eaters was that they they performed a service. Mm-hmm. The service they performed was taking the bad stuff in so that you didn't have to. Maybe our nullomancers are sort of a version of a sin eater. Yeah, that's In fine. order to basically culturally, uh, we noticed that demons and devils who were here and trapped at the same time, um, there weren't many, but mm-hmm. the ones that were here were able to withstand the the, the power of Iliaster. And so we have now made deals with them. That would now, if we were talking back in fifth edition parlance, this would make them basically fiend warlocks. Mm-hmm. Would be a kind of nullomancer. Um, but that idea, you know, cutting a deal and accessing a sort of a demonic entity, it would that it builds in some natural costs, uh, costs and benefits, mm-hmm. some boons and banes, so to speak. Yeah, which <laughs> according to Shadow of the Demon Lord, looks like they already use that. So luckily, we can change that. Well. I think we can still use it. Uh, honestly, it's just yeah. We we wouldn't be using easiest. it the same way. They they do it to determine combat. Apparently. Oh okay. So if you um, have X amount of boons, that's your bonus. You have X amount of banes, that's your bon- that's your negative, and then you roll a whatever to hit. Okay. Yeah. So if we come back to our pantheon stuff, our mm. our gods. Yeah. So instead of jumping in and starting to create a pantheon and start discussing gods, we've now instead discussed how discussed that we're not just going to have a pantheon. We might have a pantheon. That would have developed over time. I also just want to throw this out there because it's an idea I had while cooking dinner today. Mm-hmm. I was not making beef stroganoff. I was making Thai green curry. But my idea was that it would be interesting if you had, like, let's say that you had a bunch of people who believed in a nature god and then a bunch of people who believed in a different version of a nature god. And then over time, they get mashed up. So yeah. as as belief has changed over the thousand years that people have been here and expanding and growing and everything like that, mm-hmm. gods that existed like in the first hundred years all of a sudden existed and then were like forcibly like combined with other gods, maybe even against their will, just based on the belief of people as they go, oh, you believe in the tree god Blorfax? We believe in the tree god Garfanarg right. and Blorfax and Garfanarg and Garfanarg becomes Blorfax and then Garfanarg and Blorfax are sitting there going stop as they're slowly merged into a different right. deity like that's, uh, altogether like Santa Claus like Santa Claus is often the merging of different ideas of yeah, what a father Christmas Odin. is yeah exactly as as ghosts taught me <laughs> on, <laughs> on Paramount Plus <laughs> Odin Santa Claus is just a bastardization of Odin. I did not know that. Christmas cookies. Um, These are (laughs) cookies good. These are good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't watch Ghosts, you should. It's it's perfectly harmless and delightful fun to watch for the whole family. (laughs) Yeah, really. Um. So we didn't really jump anything into uh, pantheons yet. What do you want to work on first? Do you want to work on our again? We'll come up with a different term between now and next week. Mm -hmm. Do we want to come up with a term for the terrestrial gods because here's the thing the terrestrial the the surface level gods the american god style gods mm-hmm. they can become monsters yeah that's true they can be our cr22 or you know equivalent in whatever system we end up designing in gosh right. darn it asbro yeah curse you um they can be our high level 
our high level monsters. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so we really did. Just Do cult outright... leaders become more powerful because of the cult worshiping them in Estrock? Yeah, I guess. I think so. We already have developed a cult and a cult leader. Yeah, but if the cult, um... but it wouldn't be enough people worshiping him to give him real power. But you get some, right? So can a oh, cult if, combine oh. its powers to call upon a god, and then the god gets more powerful and can I don't know grant them? Usually, that? a cult centers around a person, not a god. Yeah, true. Well, I, yes, I say this is the Dunning Kruger right. armchair expert. <laughs> Usually, and I know all the things. Um, but I've listened to some podcasts, Matt, and yeah. I've watched some Netflix documentaries. But no, my thought was, as I'm sitting here being very frustrated, again, at Hasbro, this is going to be a recurring theme. Well, yeah. if I was designing this in fifth edition, I just had a really cool idea for a um, warlock patron. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the patron is the cult. Oh, yeah. That'd be interesting. So you, huh? There is a cult that gives you your power, and that's your patron. That would be so cool. If yeah, anyone tries to be. steal this, I might write this anyway at this point, just because I like that idea so much. The Warlock Patron, the cult. Well, I mean, you have the digital copyright at this point. <laughs> exactly. It's here. Well, you could always go I'm back I'm going to write it. And under the fan content policy, I'll just post it for free on the website. There you go. But think okay. about that. If you were to do a cult as a, a Warlock Patron, um, you'd get bonuses to like persuasion and intimidation. Yeah. You'd get uh, the spell list would change. You'd gain the ability to like control followers and have them help you through you know, your speeches it so, almost like writes itself so here's what we're here's what i'm suggesting so i'm looking at our time we are at about 50 yeah. minutes so here's here's what we need to do over the next okay. few days we're i think we need to come up with how to move forward on pantheons we need to solidify how we want to use define divine magic how we want divinity to work i think we have to is this a hell of a thing because maybe we should just really sit down and kind of hammer out some magical rules like how does that how does magic work? Well, we can certainly do that. That's what we're here because to do. Because I think if we figure out how magic works, then we can start defining, you know, we have to have a hierarchical system for the magic, like, you know, who gets mm-hmm. who gets the lion's share, who can, who can, you know, use the most, and then we need to, then we can go through and create how our divinity works. And then once right. we get how divinity works, then, you know, you can get that part of magic. Then we can work, well, how do arcanists work? And is a cleric an arcanist or not? And Right. Okay, so we need to... Yeah, I think that we're going to need to come up with a bullet points plan of action mm-hmm. before we say. But so so next week is going to be more divinity, right? More We're going to be on divinity for a while, I think. Divinity slash magic. So magic. Magic rules. Divinity we're doing magic. magic rules. We're we're writing yeah. some magic guardrails. We'll Okay. Well, there is an entire chapter in the Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide by mm-hmm. James D'Amato about developing magic. Okay. And I'm sure there's a cobalt guide the Cobalt's Guide to World Building probably has something similar, and I'm going to buy that as well. Right. So let's meantime, just do make that our plan to just use these guides, these um, you know, these we can resources. Use as many of them as we us. want. Yeah. And we can go through the process and decide what we like and what we don't like from the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll use those resources as uh, you know a crutch, and then we'll once we decide what we like and what we want, how we change it to suit us, then we'll throw the crutches down and we'll run with how we yeah. are going to build the magic and what our what it looks like for us. Okay. Um, it's just as you're talking step. about the way magic works, this is, I remember one of my most, I just had a flash of a formative memory. Mm-hmm. I ever get this where you like remember something from childhood you'd forgotten for over three decades? I, I constantly seek that kind of, yeah, all the time. It, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. I remember when, I think right around the time my parents realized they could get me to be less annoying if they gave me books that shut me up so I could read in my room. Yeah. Um, I remember reading a fantasy novel, and I could not tell you the name of the fantasy novel. I mm-hmm. could not tell you who wrote the fantasy novel, but now I'm going to be really bothered by it until I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I do remember that in the back of the book, yeah. it was the first fantasy novel I ever read where in the back of the book there was an index that was, an, um, it was, a, it was a diegetic uh, index. So it, was, it took, the index took place in the world. It was okay. an in-world, in-character index that explained how magic worked. Mm-hmm. And they explained it using waveform graphs or diagrams. Wow. And it explained, like, there's a line, like, here's reality, and here's the point of a spell, which creates a branching reality and a new effect. And then they have, like, waveforms to explain how, like, the more powerful magic you need to make different effects. Oh. And I couldn't tell you if the book was any good or not. I don't remember anything about the book. I remember the charts and the explanations of magic in the back and i was fascinated by those and i remember as a kid trying to create my own versions of them which ended up just being bastardizations of the ones from the index sure 
but well that's eventually what leads to one's interest in tabletop gaming yeah it was super cool because it's so now i'm going to spend a bunch of time if any of you listening know what book i might be talking about this would have been well it could have been published any time before 1990 so sure or or republished well yeah i was about to say like oh it was published but then i was like it probably wasn't new so it was yeah but i i remember it smacking of the 80s so all you got to do is just do some i mean miranda found a book from when she was a child and all she could tell uh, Rod Wolf and I was, it was like there was like a buzzard in it. That's and she it. figured it out. That's literally what it is. She owns the book now. She found it. That's it's called awesome. Huzzard Buzzard. <laughs> she wow. remembered it from when she was a kid, which is incredible. But So you can so find our plan. it. All you have to do is waveform oh, yeah, we'll multiverse it. magic thing. Okay. Um, I'll put three paper cuts on my hand. And yeah. Four. Word yeah. Four. So, four paper oh, cuts. so hard to get one. Um, <laughs> we don't even know where one comes from. How am I supposed to do four? <laughs> so... In the intervening week, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do some reading and talking about the nature of magic. And in our next episode, that's what we'll discuss. We will discuss the nature of magic mm-hmm. and how it works. And then we will be tying that to divinity. Because if if nothing else, if nothing else that we have done on our whiteboard session here, yeah. divine magic is just another form of arcane magic in Esterok. Yeah. Can we say that? Yes. Yep. All magic comes from Iliaster. Mm-hmm. It is just projected through a different lens. Which gives it different effects. Yes. Yep. Okay. There we go. Iliaster is magic that can be projected in different ways. There. We did create something. We created that sentence. And next time, we'll have even more about magic, gods, the nature of divinity, and everything like that. And with that, I think we're out of time. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to make a uh, note because I just, because you mentioned a little bit of everything everywhere all at once. I'm going to reach out to Michael and Sabrina and see if they've covered that. I might want to, okay. want to do a never heard of it. I want to do that up. Oh, because you want to jump right in. I would love to. I love that movie. That'd yeah. It'd be fun to talk about. The only A24 film you've ever enjoyed. Correct. I couldn't even understand yep. that sentence. I have no problem <laughs> stating that. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen at home, if yeah. you, like me, love A24 films, feel free to send angry tweets to Josh. Go ahead. Um, I, don't, and... <laughs> I don't Twitter. <laughs> And tweet away. <laughs> but if instead you're interested in reading about the stuff we create, you can find it all on www.www. Why am I saying so many W's? www.fourthpillar of The more W's we had, the cheaper it got. www.fourthpillaroflay.com. All spelled out. All spelled out. I do think we should buy play. all the different just get ourselves covered that's Um, for todd that i would do that yes there you go the uh, you can browse our creations please feel free to send us an email tweet us at you know what i'm gonna add i'll add my mastodon oh and we can add our mastodon i have a mastodon too now we should really just the tabletop role-playing game scene on mastodon is is pretty strong yeah you, you, okay. Yeah, there's a lot out there, and they, they regularly visit it. So, all right. So, yep. those of you listening at home, that's it. We're gonna we're gonna start maintaining. Josh is gonna start maintaining a Mastodon account to, for yep. Fourth Pillar of Play. Um, I'll start one. Yes, and then yes. Yep, it's easy. I get <laughs> it right. now. I've got it. I got to figure it out now. So it's good. Okay. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And as always, despite what the future may hold, we do look forward to creating with you. <laughs>